Welcome to leadership, and I know those are business terms that are thrown around quite a bit, but I want to differentiate uh, some differences between biblical leadership and world-style leadership. We got the world style of leadership that says we use Bible principles as a stepping stone to get us where we're called to be. World style of leadership is we use Bible principles as a stepping stone to get us where we're called to be. Jesus style of leadership or Bible is this, Jesus must be the cornerstone, not a stepping stone that your life is built on. He is the foundation of everything you do. I've seen businesses all over the world try to throw in a little bit of Bible here and there and they use the Bible simply as a stepping stone to get to where they're supposed to be. Well, Bible principles are Bible principles, and God's word will not return void, I understand that. But rather than just using the Bible as a stepping stone, why don't we make the Bible a foundation stone of everything we do in biblical leadership here at the church and biblical leadership in your workplace? The world style of leadership is also, says this, if I am a good leader, I will climb the corporate ladder. Jesus style and biblical style is this, if I am a good leader, I will train others to be just as good as me. Shouldn't we get into biblical style of leadership, amen? Bosses, if you are a boss in the current workplace, your job should not be to climb the corporate ladder even higher. Your job should be to train people to be just as good as you because and by training people to be just as good as you, you're gonna get elevated in your position at work, amen? But in today's society, we've got it backwards. Many times we throw people under the bus and we try to do all we can to get ahead in our life and climb our corporate ladder. But the Bible talks about a very different strategy of leadership. It talks about developing others to be just as good as you. The world style of leadership is this. If I am a good leader, it will create many open doors for me. The Bible style of leadership is this. We lead based on a cause and there is no plan B and there is no other door. When you find your niche, what God's called you to do, who he's called you to be, there is no other door for your life. All other doors are gone for Joel T. Meyer. Ministry is who I'm called to be. Ministry is what I do. There is no other option for me. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to go around the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm called to get the gospel moving forward in any way, shape, form, and fashion that's out there. The gospel is what my call is. There is no other door for Joel T. Meyer. So the gospel is where it's at. You and your life, welcome to leadership and find the call or the cause in your life. I love what Jerry and Ginger have done with their life. They're basing everything that they do and every decision that they make around their call or their cause to be missionaries, to go to a third world nation and change the world they live in. There is no other door, is there? And so don't worry so much about climbing the corporate ladder, find a cause, and then you'll have something worth living for and something worth leading in. John chapter 13, verse one, and it says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to be with the Father, having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and now was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I love how Peter just jumps out there, man. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head also. And Jesus said to him, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but he is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. But 
when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus begins to embark on a complete different style of leadership than we've ever witnessed in the American culture. Now I want to talk to you right before I get started in my message this morning a little bit about the history of feet washing in the Bible. A little bit about the Bible area of feet washing. Now feet washing is this, um, when slaves would work in houses and people would walk wherever they went, they would come into the building and if they were going to a major feast or supper like was talked about uh, right here because they were at the Passover, they would bathe very much before they would go. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. We're glad you bathed before you go to a banquet. That's awesome. But because they wore sandals everywhere they went and they would walk down dirty, dusty roads, they would get their feet dirty as they would walk from place to place. And when they would enter a house, they would have a basin similar to this, uh, actually a lot bigger than this because if you remember when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast, there were, there were several basins out there with a bunch water in and they would take their shoes off when they got to the house and the slaves or the servants there would wash the feet of the people who had just come, the guests of honor. For a rabbi of Jesus' stature to do this was unheard of. This is why Peter says, no, 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 you ain't washing my feet because this is unheard of. That's the job of a servant or a slave to do. And then Jesus goes on not just to wash feet, but when he did, the Bible says he took off his outer garments, the very nice clothes that Jesus wore. Now I want to preface this right quick because a lot of people picture Jesus as walking around in ragtag, ratty clothes and having absolutely nothing and of no value or worth, okay? That could not be farther from the truth, and I'll tell you why. One reason is when he was on the cross at Calvary, the guards that were there, they gambled over his clothes. They were so valuable. Listen, they weren't, value, they weren't gambling over his clothes because he was Jesus. They didn't care that he was Jesus. They were killing him. So the fact that he was Jesus, like we think about in the American culture, is not the reason, oh, this is famous Jesus, let's gamble for his clothes. No, that's not the case. They were actually in the crucifixion making a spectacle or a mockery of Jesus, and they didn't care who he was, but his clothes had to be of some value because they gambled for him. Also, if you'll remember, in the past two weeks, we've talked about um, the different levels of education that the rabbis would go through. They would first go into a level of education called Beit Sefer, which is like the elementary school in the American culture where they would memorize the first uh, five books of the Bible. Then if they were good enough there at the age of 12, they would go to a rabbi and they would say, can we follow you? And he would say, yes, you can follow me after a huge quiz or test that they would take. And then they would enter into a school called Beit Talmud. And when they would enter into Beit Talmud, they would memorize all the books of the prophets and then also begin to work through and apply all the books of the, the first five books of the Bible that they had previously learned. And then if they were good enough to go out from there, they would go into an education school such as our college called Beit Midrash, which where there they would finish out their term as a disciple. And then when they graduated from there and their rabbi saw them fit he would send them on to become a rabbi well when you were a rabbi you still had a chance to further who you were and I talked about this in the in the message I did in the uh, x2 revolution this is what the realm of Jesus was Jesus was not just a rabbi he was a rabbi shmaha everybody say shmaha Okay, this is a rabbi that was not just a teacher of the law, but he was so educated and so knowledgeable and so skilled in his understanding of the Bible, he could actually give new interpretation to what the law meant, or actually in Jesus' case, the real interpretation of what the law meant, and that's why he did the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're talking about a kid who not just passed elementary school, but excelled in it, not just passed secondary school, Beit Talmud, and not just passed the high school or college, Beit Midrash, but actually passed college and was a rabbi, but not just a rabbi, was the excelling of excelling of all rabbis, 
He's not walking around in a tattered robe. And I'm just trying to display to you the truth of the, who Jesus really was. I'm also not saying Jesus drove around in a Lexus and a Benz and showed off all his bling all the time either, okay? Because I know that's a far left-sided argument of, of the prosperity gospel that, that all jacked up and that's a whole other message on some, some levels, okay? So Jesus was not this poor bum walking down the street with 12 hoodlums behind him. But many times that's how we've seen pictures of Jesus drawn. Tattered clothes, not worth anything, bunch of hoodlums running behind him. And then we got the picture of the Lord's Supper. Well, that's not even accurate because not everybody sits on the same side of the table, okay? <laughs> and so you've got all this religious stereotypes about who Jesus was. But the fact of the matter is Jesus was a very prominent figure in his day. He was prominent enough that Judas was not just with him. Judas was the treasure keeper of all the funds of the ministry of Jesus. And so Jesus, if he had disciples, he was not just obligated to care for himself, but he was obligated to care for himself and his family, the 12 disciples following him and their families, and plus the 70 that followed him part-time and their families when the 70 part-timers were with him. Can you tell Judas was not an idiot in the area of math? <laughs> he was a great embezzler, as a matter of fact. And so in this, I want you to see the truth of who Jesus really was and how he was a very prominent figure in his day. And he lacked for nothing because God just said, I have put all things into your hands. So he had the power of God as he was walking through this earth. And the very power of God as he was walking through this earth, the Bible says that he took off his outer garments and began to wash the disciples' feet. He did it with people who said, I will give everything up and follow you. And guys, these are two of the three elders of our church, okay? They do an amazing job and they have put their life basically in areas on hold to dedicate their life to the church without pay, without money, with just straight out of the heart of God. And so the relationship that we have as pastor and elders is very similar, and it's the closest thing in the American culture that we can have as a relationship between a rabbi and his disciple, or the Talmud, that he was doing. And so Jesus, Bible says he began to take off his outer garment, and he began to just simply get very comfortable and relaxed in the setting that he was in, and he began to walk in front of his disciples and teach them about leadership. And guys, I'm gonna ask you guys to take off your shoes and socks and would you roll the hems of your pants up if you don't mind. And as they're taking off their socks and shoes and rolling up their pants, Jesus begins to embark on a complete different style of leadership. He begins to embark on a style of leadership that is very servant-based, that is very much in serving the people who should be under you, making them to the position of where they are that you are elevating them to be above you, and therefore equipping them to become who you are. When they were chosen as elders, and, and we began, one of the first things I said is, I need you guys to become me and pastor the church with me. Do it like I do it. If you see me walking around talking and smiling, I need you guys walking around talking and smiling. Very much the same culture that we were in. And what he began to do is Jesus went all the way down and he put a towel around his waist and he began to come to his disciples' feet and he began to sit there and talk to them about leadership style. And he'd say, Ronnie, you're doing an awesome job. You're doing amazing in the job that you do and I'm so proud of you. You're on the way to becoming who God's called you to be. And I'm doing this, Ronnie. I know you're just thinking I'm wiping the dirt off your feet but I'm doing more than wiping the dirt off your feet. What I'm doing is I'm teaching you a style of leadership that's completely different than the world style of leadership, Ronnie. Amen. I'm teaching you how to lead in a way that will win multitudes unto the kingdom that I'm trying to build. I'm teaching you to lead in a way that will not tear down but build up. I'm teaching you to lead in a way that will not keep people in bondage, but it will set them free to their giftings and their callings to be all that they've called to be. Ronnie, I'm teaching you to lead in a fashion that is different than the world has ever seen it to be. And as Jesus washed their feet, he began to impart into them. And then he'd go to the next one. 
and he began to wash their feet. And now I saw by the expression on Cody's face, <laughs> Cody's not comfortable with this. And that's why I didn't tell him what I was doing before I began to do this. Hey, Jesus didn't tell his disciples either, okay? I'm just saying, I'm being like Jesus. And Cody, I know this is uncomfortable, but you need to know that as you run your own business, Cody, leadership is uncomfortable sometimes, and I know you know that. But when you lead, there's gonna be people who don't wanna follow, that need to follow, and it's time for us to lead in such a way that they wanna follow. And Cody, as I wash your feet, I'm not just taking the dirt off your feet, I'm actually empowering you to come into the banqueting hall and not just sit as a rabbi, but sit right next to me as your savior and your Lord and become who I am as a leader. And that's what Jesus was doing when he began to impart into his disciples' lives. I wanted to give you that visual this morning of Jesus' style of leadership before I go into this message. But this message, literally, you've already seen, you've already heard, you've already experienced it. The first thing I wanna to talk to you about this morning, all three of my points this morning are phrased in a question. Are you wearing a title or are you wearing a towel? Verse number three says this. It says, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things unto his hands. He had come from the Father and was going back to the Father. He rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now, we talked about sonship the first week of ships and we talked about two sons who did not know their authority in Christ Jesus. We talked about two sons who did not know who they were. One son ran off and squandered the wealth. One son had all the wealth and still didn't use it to do what he could have. Neither one knew their authority. This morning, I want you to come to an understanding of your authority in Christ Jesus. But with your authority in Christ Jesus, we got to begin to understand this. We can no longer in the body of Christ wear titles. We must begin to wear towels. Amen. We must begin to wear towels. There is no job too menial in the body of Christ. Many people sit out there, well, I just don't like kids, so I don't want to work with kids. There is no job too menial in the body of Christ. The department we need more help in than anything all the time is our kids department. We need over 60 volunteers every week to make our kids department function. And listen, you're not on a cruise liner. Remember, you're on a battleship. We're on a set course with a mission to accomplish something great for the kingdom. But many people in the body of Christ sit here and say, well, I just don't work with kids. Really? Your kids are going to be voting in the next 20 years? <laughs> and how they vote is what you're going to experience because you'll then be a senior citizen in your 60s? <laughs> Come on now, I'm just saying. And if you want to have a direct influence on your latter years of seniority, you better start imparting into them now when they're younger and in, the, and in the, uh, impressionable ages. Amen. Amen. It is time that we as the body of Christ start putting on towels instead of titles. Listen, we were working on our projector system for all day Friday, all day Saturday, last night till 1030, and y'all look up at the sound booth and give everybody up there a huge hand clap of praise. I mean, Blanchard's put countless hours in. Jason Blanchard had, Joey McCoy has, Tim Bigler has, Derek Dillon has. Some of us have kept coming in and out throughout the whole time. But we were up here Friday and Saturday on our days off away from our family. And I could have easily said, it is not my job as a preacher to put in a projector system. It is, I don't have to be there. We can hire somebody to do this. But because my church members were here, I said it'd probably be good for me to serve them and just be their golfer or whatever. I don't have a clue how to put one of those up, y'all. But I did that not because they so much needed my help or my skills or my talents or my abilities, but what they needed was to know that the person who was above them wasn't really above them. They're right there with them in the day in, day out, all day long things that take place in the world. And it's servant-based leadership that we must get accustomed to. And so yesterday, it was not my job to be here, but I decided to put on a towel instead of a title. 
Because I could have just put on a title and said, I'm the pastor, y'all handle this, y'all audiovisual department, y'all go do this. But I'm not into wearing titles, I'm into wearing towels. I'd rather wear towels any day of the week because with a towel, I'll have greater influence than with a title. With a title, you'll fear me and, and you'll do what I say. With a towel, you'll follow me and be like me. Amen. And that's why we need to start wearing towels, not titles. And I remember, and, and I, I'll repeat this till Damon probably every month until the day I die and go to heaven. Damon started wearing towels, not titles. He'll talk about how he picked up crickets when he first got called in the ministry. Jeff and Amy wore towels, not titles, when they first came down here. Jeff was working two jobs. Amy was working a job. And they gave up everything that they had in Tulsa to come down here and help start a church that was only running eight people at the time. I mean, they're starting to wear towels and not titles. And I remember at the old building when, on the corner of North Davis and Glover Street, and I was reminded of this when I saw the picture on Facebook of Zach's 12th birthday. This past Friday is like, I wish they would have that picture where Zach was an infant and we were re-linoleing the bathroom floors in the old building. And he was sitting on that roll of linoleum, just kind of draped over it, looking up with this big old smile on his face. Jeff, an associate pastor of a church, decided I'm going to wear a towel, not a title. I'm going to put linoleum floors in because it needs to be done. And guys, there's going to be ample opportunities in the next six months as we go times two for you to step into the role of leadership and get involved. And some of you are saying, well, pastor, I would have been here and helped hang that if I would have known y'all needed help. And I know that, but I also didn't need 50 people up here driving Jason and Joey nuts. And so by their request, they said, listen, we only need a specific few. But in the future, there's going to be things that need to be done that you don't even need to be asked to do. Whenever you drive into the church and you see weeds growing in the flower beds up there by the fountain, you don't have to ask me if you can pull weeds. <laughs> if the trash cans are overflowing in the bathroom, you don't have to ask me if you can change the trash. Because many times when we as leadership, we don't just begin to look and say, oh, so-and-so would be good. We watch for the people who are actively already wearing a towel so we can put them with a title. And until we begin to wear towels, God will not begin to give out titles. So the first aspect of leadership is we need you to start putting on towels. Joel T. Meyer needs to continue to wear towels because with towels, then God will begin to move and elevate and bring us to certain places in our life. The next point I want to talk about is this. The next question is, what are you doing? This is Peter's question. Jesus, what are you doing? We don't understand this. Jesus, where are you going? I don't understand. And Jesus was talking about this. Jesus' answer in today's culture would be, I'm getting in the zone. I'm getting in the zone. And the verse of scriptures that go along with this are verses 5 through verse number 10. And then Jesus goes on to say, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel and he wrapped around him. And he came to Simon and Peter who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Or Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I'm doing you do not understand now. So Peter's saying, Jesus, what are you doing? This is what Peter dealt with. He deals with the same thing that our world deals with. Understand these facts and the stats that are out there. People are uncomfortable with change. They don't like change. They don't want change. Y'all were shocked when you walked in, you saw me in a suit. You were like, we're used to you in blue jeans and a shirt now. Five years ago when I changed, I was getting in trouble because I started wearing blue jeans and a nice button-down shirt. Now I'm getting in trouble because I'm dressing too nice. <laughs> and so in this process, people are uncomfortable with change. Listen, even successful people are uncomfortable with change when they do not understand how success came to be. You can be very successful as a pastor or a church leader or in the business, and if you don't understand how you became successful and are not willing to change, you're uncomfortable with change. And so even as a leader, you get uncomfortable with change. Now listen to this one. This one's the most alarming. 97% of people in the world operate in the area called comfort zone. 3% of the people in the world operate in an area called the effective zone. The difference between comfort zone and effective zone is called growth, and growth is uncomfortable. It's changing things. 
When we as a church continue to grow, still grow, there's gonna be changes that we make that you're like, I don't really know if I like that change. I liked it the way it was. <laughs> I thought it was great the way it was, Pastor. Why do we have to change? Because growth has happened and change has gotta take place. If we don't, we're gonna die. And then in 10 years, you'll be looking for another church because, well, they just didn't change with the times. <laughs> See, the problem is we're on a cruise line or not a battleship, and many people, if we change too quick, they're not happy, but if we don't change at all, they're not happy, and then we got people who don't want change and people who do want change. The fact of the matter is change is inevitable. We have got to grow. We have got to continue to change, and so we've always said that that's the way, Bible Church. Embrace change. Run with it, because you will never experience more excitement in your life until you embrace change in your life, and when you begin to embrace change, you'll love it. Parents are always saying this, well, I can't wait until my kid goes to school. Then when your kid starts going to school, oh my God, my baby's all grown up and they just started school. I don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> oh, I'm ready for my kid to get out of high school and get out of this house. They come to college, time, like, oh my God, my baby's going to college. <laughs> and y'all start crying this ugly cry. I mean, not just a cry, it's an ugly cry. I mean, it's an ugly cry for weeks, the last six weeks of school. No wonder your kid's ready to get out the house. They come home with mommy and daddy crying every day. Embrace the change. I love my kids growing up. Am I sad that my kids are in school already? Yeah, a little bit because I love them when they were babies, but boy, I'm enjoying the heck out of playing baseball with them. And so I don't let the aspect of them growing and changing stop me from enjoying who they are and who they're becoming. In fact, when you'll embrace change and get into this 3% zone, your life will become exponentially more effective than it's ever been. Well, why do you do this? Well, it's just the way we've always done it. No wonder your marriage is failing because you've always done it the same way. <laughs> Husbands and wives, embrace your spouse as they change. Well, I, people say this all the time. Well, they're not the same person I married. I know this. <laughs> I know, and I should hope they're not <laughs> because how many of you know you're a lot smarter now than when you got married than when you were at 24? <laughs> Amen, come on. Me and my wife look back and when we got married, say, man, we we're just babies. <laughs> and we, were, we thought we were old getting married. And so embrace change. In five years, you will be crazy, exponentially different than you were the past five years. And change will happen more rapidly because the world's changing more rapidly, okay? The past 30 years of the world, we have more change in the past 30 years than ever since the beginning of creation till then. Y'all, we're walking around with computers in our pockets, talking and FaceTiming and... And so listen to this. When you were 16 till the time you turned 21, how much did you change? A ton, a ton. And from the ages of 21 to, to 27, how much did you change? And then the year after that, when you had kids, how much did you change? A bunch. So don't ever come to me and say, my spouse isn't the same person who I've married. You're right, they're not, and neither are you. And I should hope you're changing. But with change, you've got to embrace one another and say, baby, we're in this for the long haul. <laughs> and we're going to change with each other. We're going to flex with each other. We're going to bend with each other. We're going to curve with each other. And we don't care because we're going to go on this adventure and let's jump in this 3% zone and be effective in our marriage rather than be defective in the 90% zone. So when Jesus was asked the question by Peter, what are you doing? Jesus said, I'm getting in the zone. I'm going to go in this 3%, Peter, that you know nothing about. Because he even said it, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand. But listen what, I need you to do what I'm about to do. I need you to do what I'm about to do. The final point this morning is this. Are you going to let change do two things, embarrass you or empower you? Are you going to let change embarrass you or empower you? 
Many people let change embarrass them rather than empower them. Listen to what goes on here. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put it on his armor, outer, outer garment again. So it'd be like me putting my jacket back on again. And then he takes the role as Rabbi Shmaha again. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to do and wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done unto you. So Jesus in this point starts a peculiar dick discourse. He talks about who he is, his teacher and Lord. We already went through all the credentials of Jesus, who he was. These were people who were so excelling in their day of Jesus as rabbis that when he was at this point, it was unheard of for him to do this. But when he got to that point, he said, now I need you to do what I'm going to be doing. Why? Because listen to this. A disciple wants to be what his rabbi is. Now here's the kicker to this whole feet washing thing that many of you have never heard before. Jesus did not do this to embarrass himself and he did not do this to embarrass his disciples. He did it for the one reason that he called them, to be his disciples so they could become who Jesus is. That's why after Jesus died, people said, these are uneducated men, but we can tell he's been with Jesus. I want people to be able to say that about me. Joel, you may not be the smartest crayon in the box or cookie in the box, but I can tell you've spent time with Jesus. And so what Jesus was doing is he was washing his disciples' feet. What he was actually doing, he's saying, Welcome to becoming me. See, a lot of people look at it and say, the great commission happened in, the, in Matthew chapter 28. No, actually, the commission for the disciples happened right here. Because at that moment, when Jesus knelt down and began to wash their feet, he was saying, welcome to becoming me, because he ended it with saying, as you've seen me do to you, now you go and do and be me to a lost and dying world out there. At that moment, the disciples, all 12 of them, even Judas, received empowerment to go be the disciples of God in a lost and dying world. As you begin to wash other people's feet and embark on servant leadership, people will follow you to an extent. And there's times in leadership that it's very uncomfortable. I know that me and Damon have been in uncomfortable situations, not necessarily with one another, but situations we've had to deal with. Me and Ty have, me and Jeff had of having to deal with church situations. And there are times when me as a pastor wants to just step in and handle it. Why? Because I'm pastor and I can handle it. All the problems in here, all everything ends here because I'm the one ended up in the end responsible by God for what takes place at the church. And there are times when we've had to make tough decisions and I would love to step in and say, Jeff, I'm finna just handle this for you. But servant leadership is this saying, Jeff, we've been together long enough that I trust you to handle it properly and rightly. I am right here with you and I let him go become and handle it the exact way I would handle it. Amen. I, me and Damon, this happened this year. There's a situation, an uncomfortable situation we had to handle. And I could have just stepped in and said, Damon, I got this for you. I'm just going to put the smack down. I'm going to tell these people I, what we think. But God said, no, no, no. I'm making Damon a leader to the next level in his life for who he's called to be. Don't rob Damon of what I'm fixing to do in him and make him rise to the next level and prove to Damon that he's got more abilities in him than he's ever had. So I did not throw Damon under the bus and say, no, you just go handle it. We sat there together, but I let him handle it. And y'all, he did a phenomenal job. He handled it with more grace than I would have handled it with. I mean, he said words to this person that, that were so encouraging and uplifting and, and Damon got to end up laying his hands on him and praying for him before it was all said and done. And I was just like, Man, I, this would have been a 20-minute meeting with me. It would have been done. It would have been handled. But he rose up into a level that God was calling him into. And greater anointing has rested on his life since. 
Me and Ty have been in situations where we've had had to handle situations, and I've said, I wanna handle this for God, and God says, no. If you want her to be the children's director I've called her to be, you've got to let her step in and handle it as you would handle it with your authority as pastor. Because you gotta understand, when Jeff handles it, or when Damon handles it, or when Ty handles it, or when Mitch handles it, they're not talking as Mitch, or Jeff, or Ty, or Damon. They're talking with the voice of the pastor because I put them in charge of handling it. And so when they lead, they're not leading as their individuals, they're leading as they're pastoring the church as who they're called to be. So get this, when Jesus called his disciples and washed their feet, and he said, now you go, he said, you get this, you are now me in this world. Jesus, when he died on the cross, literally washed your feet in his blood. And he commissioned you to go and be him in this world. Not to be like Jesus, but to be Jesus. That's why you've died to yourself and you no longer live. But it's Christ that lives within you. And you are different. Now this is completely different leadership than you learn in college. This is completely different leadership than you learn in the business world. But this type and this style of leadership of training people who are beneath you, rising them up to the level of you are, to have them actually become you so you can continue to do what God's called you to do, that is Bible-based leadership. And that leadership style is leadership with discipleship under the umbrella of sonship. And so we better get on God's ship of how we change and live and lead as a church. I want you this morning to find out how you can become a better leader in your life. Not throw out the business terms. Strictly by what I've seen and shown you this morning in your life, personal life, family life, work life, and church life, those four areas, how can you become a Bible-based leader in every aspect of your life? Servant leadership, it's a different creature, different all the way around. The fact of the matter is, this morning, 97% of you sitting in this building, still in the church, will stay in your comfort zone. 3% this morning will step out and say, I'm ready to be effective, and step into the effective zone. Here's the deal. I say we blow 3% out of the water. I say we blow 3% completely out of this building. I say we let 3% be the comfort zone people and 97% be the effective zone people this morning. Because if you're not gonna willing to step up and be a leader here, you'll never step up and lead at home. And the biggest battle people face, and, and Damon's experienced, and I know Heath and April experienced, and Jeff and Amy have, and Mitch and Andrew have, is husbands and wife, when we look out, we see one wanting to move, but then they stop because of fear of the one next to them. Don't be afraid today. If you're a husband and wife team, husband, if your wife comes, I want you to come with her. Lead with her. Wife, if your husbands come, go with them. Lead as a team because that's who you are. Do it together and be a leadership couple together and begin to lead together because your step of leadership takes place by submitting to a higher authority. And that's not pastor of a church, that's to God, saying, God, this morning, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna step out, I don't know what you're calling me to do the rest of my life, but the first step of leadership is standing up and saying, I'm willing to make a change. 